everybody. My name is Lauren Johnson. I am a wife. I am a daughter. I am an athlete and in business. I am a mental performance coach and speaker. And I am so excited to be joining John on today's podcast. And if you forgot, you're listening to the Relationships and Revenue Podcast with John Hewlin. This is Relationships and Revenue, the show where real answers come from real discussions about what holds men back in their relationships at home and in business. A better bottom line at work means improving life at home. This show is all about helping you become a better entrepreneur and a better man. Welcome back, everyone, to the Relationships and Revenue Podcast. I am your host, John Hewlin. As always, extremely excited that you decided to spend some of your either listening and or viewing time with me. And as you heard from the intro, I have the one and only, the fabulous Lauren Johnson with me today. Lauren, how are you? Ah, so good. I'm always good when I get to get on a call with you. So my day is already better. Well, thank you so much. That means the world to me. Now, folks, she shared a little bit of herself in the intro, but in case you didn't hear it, she did talk about what, oh my gosh. Well, she talked about her most important role in her life. She's a wife. She also happens to be a dog mom. So if you follow her on Instagram, she puts stuff up with her dogs all the time. And oh my gosh, they are, they're beautiful, cute dogs, but they are hilarious. The things that they do. Well, and you might be getting a little confused. I only have one dog, but I spent time with my friend who has a black lab also, and they're practically brothers. They're like best friends. They became best friends overnight. (laughs) Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. All right. Well, I knew you had at least one dog for sure. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, not that those aren't reasons enough for us to be talking to you because they are. But one of the main reasons we're talking to you today, Lauren, and I want to introduce all of you to Lauren, is because she is a mental performance coach. Now, I can tell you, I I hear my ancestors in my ears when I say that title. I hear them saying things like, that doesn't sound like a real job. (laughs) Honestly, that's what I hear. But I know it's a real thing because I've seen the results of what Lauren does. Now, let me tell you just a few of the companies, organizations that Lauren has worked with. Now, the one that most people know about is the New York Yankees, which is kind of a big deal, folks. I don't know about you. I've never worked for the Yankees. I'm not George Costanza, so that hasn't happened. <laughs> but she's worked with some others. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Google, Johnson & Johnson. Oh, I don't know. Another small organization, the FBI. Hello. Square, Mass Mutual, Evergy. And that, the list goes on and on. So, Lauren, let me ask you this. You probably didn't wake up one day and just say, you know what? I want to be a mental performance coach. So help us out a little bit. Give us kind of a history lesson on Lauren. Take us back in time. Tell us a little bit about your story and what led you to where you are today. Hmm. Let's see here. Where should I start? Um, I grew up in in like an athletic family. And so I grew up playing soccer my whole life, just fell completely in love with it. Part of it was my identity, actually. And Mm, I can relate to that. Oh, yeah. And it was actually my third game into my scene. And I received my fifth concussion. And our team neurologist told me, Lauren, it's not safe for you to continue playing. And he actually asked me this question. I'll never forget it. He said, do you want to remember your name at 40? Mm. And it totally put in perspective why this was not a good idea to continue playing. 
Mm. It was, it wasn't just about, you know, my record that year or, or scoring or taking it, helping our team go to a chance or play in a championship, you know, position or anything like that. It had everything to do with my, my health long-term. And so, uh, that, that made the, the choice a little bit easier, although the transition was really hard. So I went from, you know, playing in, in games to now my, my role was on the bench and I was still a part of the team. Um, but I decided to take an elective course because I, I just, I was kind of bored. I was like, what do I get? What do I do? Um, and so I took this elective course in sports psychology. I was the only person to sign up for the course and I fell completely in love with it. Mm. And the reason why was because I was the person that needed it. Mm. <laughs> I was the athlete. I was the individual that constantly got in my own way. I beat myself up at these high unrealistic expectations of myself that not even I could live up to. And when I started to learn all about how we could leverage our mind and leverage the power of our minds to become the best version of us, regardless of circumstance, that's when I thought to myself, what kind of player or person would you have been if you would have known these things? Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> and then I thought, how many people can you help now that you do? Mm. And that's what actually started me on this journey. And so I graduated with my undergrad and then I went on and I got my master's degree in performance and sports psychology and um, came out of that. And uh, that's kind of what started my career. Wow. Okay. <clears throat> now, once you finished your master's degree, what was what were your opportunities as far as work is concerned? I mean, did you go into essentially practice for yourself? Um, were you hired? I mean, I just, I don't understand that whole world. That's why I'm asking. Well, this is a great question because this actually, my, I did not have a normal path and <laughs> it, it seemed like it at the, at the beginning. So I graduated and I got two, I had two job offs, which is a grad student. So sure. I was on cloud nine. I'm like, I got options. So I'm looking at my options and I turned down one. I take the other. I was so excited. The only thing about the one that I took is that it was going to take six months to be placed in my role which oh. was normal for this position. And I was okay with it. So I was like, no problem. So six months goes by and I don't hear anything. Hmm. So I reach out and it's like, Hey, just checking in to see when I should be expecting my placement. Mm -hmm. And then I receive an email back that says, we're sorry, the job is no longer available. <laughs> and my, exactly like the wind was taken out of my sails. I was like, what do I do? So I reached out and, and the other job, by the way, has already been filled. It's been six months. Right. So it's right. Filled. So it's not like I can go back there. So I reached out to everybody that I knew in the field because you it's you can't go on like indeed.com and type in sports psychology jobs. It's 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 not a thing, at least not yet. And so I reached out to everybody and I kept hearing the exact same thing. Lauren, you need experience, which is like a grad student's like least favorite thing to hear. I'm like, yeah, no, <laughs> right. what are you trying to do here. Uh, but it's it was frustrating because there were no opportunities. Mm. So I realized, well, I got to make money somehow, you know, I have these stu I have student loans. So I decided to get a job at Starbucks and there was one day in the Starbucks drive-thru that changed my entire life. Oh. I'm working the drive-thru and this guy, it, it, you know, when you're working the drive-thru, it's your job to entertain her while their drink is being. Sure. So I'm chatting it up with this customer and he asked me, he said, so are you in school? Which was a fair question because most people were. Mm -hmm. I said, no, actually I just finished. And he's like, great. What did you get your degree in? And I proudly told him performance psychology. And he just starts laughing, like full on belly laughing to where I had to wait till he like caught his breath. But if any of you know me, you know, I'm a very straight shooter. And so he's finished laughing. And I said, what's so funny? And he goes, oh, <laughs> you got one of those degrees you'll never use. Ouch. And I couldn't believe he just said that. I had to, I had to walk away. Somebody else had to hand him his drink. I was so upset. Mm -hmm. I was, I was pissed off. 
And it just got worse throughout the day. Throughout the day, I just kept ruminating on what this guy said to me. And I kept getting more and more upset. And then I was upset because I was upset. (laughs) Because I was like, Lauren, this guy doesn't matter. Why are you giving so much energy to him and so much power over you? Right. And that's when I had this light bulb moment. I realized I wasn't upset because rude. I was upset because he was right. Mm. You know, I went to school so that I can use and leverage the power of our minds to be our best regardless of circumstance. And when the circumstances didn't work in my favor, I turned my back. I wasn't finding another way. I wasn't looking for another path. I wasn't carving my own. I was waiting for the opportunity to come to me. And then I thought to myself, how are you going to become one of the best mental performance coaches in the world if you can't even take your own advice? Mm -hmm, For sure. And so that was the day that I Googled how to start your own consulting company, (laughs) started my own consulting company. I reached out to like, I emailed and called like 10 people a day and just offering services for free, you know, just trying to get my name out there. I got tons of no's, rejected a lot. And every once in a while I'd get a yes. And I built up my clientele and after a year's time, just grinding it out and building a resume, my goal was to build a resume. So when a, a, a big job presented itself, I had that experience. Everybody told me I right. after a year's time, I got an opportunity to interview with the New York Yankees and I got the job. And so now four years later, mm-hmm. after spending four wonderful years with the New York Yankees, I decided that I wanted to grow outside of baseball and mm-hmm. not only work with athletes and instill in baseball too, but then also work, you know, outside of that as well. And, um, now I've been, I don't know, what is it? 10 months into my, into my business. And mm-hmm. it's been absolutely incredible. I love that. I love those kind of stories, Lauren, about having those major aha moments. And the, first of all, they're always opportune, but they're never timely. They're always at the worst time possible. And it's, they force you to make those life altering decisions. Yeah. Maybe not exactly in the moment, but darn close to it. And it's like, what direction am I going to go? Am I going to, you know, it, it makes me think of, something that, that I say with some frequency, pain is a part of life. It just is. But many times we actually have a choice, not a choice whether or not there's going to be pain, but the choice of what type of pain we're going to allow in our lives. Are we going to have the pain of staying the same? Or are we going to have the pain of change? Right. And when the pain of change becomes greater than the pain of staying the same, then things change. They just do. So well said. So well said. And I don't know if there was any, if there would be anybody else in my life that could have had that same impact, if they mm-hmm. would have done something similar. I am, if I could go back, I would give that guy the biggest hug and say, thank yeah. you because oh, yeah. he completely changed the, the trajectory <laughs> of my career. And I'm, I'm really thankful for it. Mm. Wow. That's pretty cool. You know, it's, <clears throat> you know, and your life isn't done with those kinds of moments. They're going to continue to come. And Sometimes they're not always as um, boisterous as that one was. <laughs> Sometimes they're a little more subtle, but uh, you know, that's the great thing about hindsight. You know, you're able to look back on things, hopefully with an objective eye and be able to say, look, that really did change how I was doing things. Now, sometimes it's major like it was for you. And sometimes it's, it's subtle things, you know, it's kind of like um, when you're driving a car, you know, if your car is not in alignment and you let go of the wheel, it's going to drift one way or another. And you have to change it up a little bit. You have to redirect it in order to get it where you want it to go. And that's how those moments are for us. They help us redirect 
in the direction that we are supposed to go to make a big, big difference. All right. You, you are a person, Lauren, that loves to say what I'll, you have a lot of pithy statements. You do. You do. You have them all over the place. You have and all your social media feeds. You have them on your website, other places like that. This is one of them. Be brave enough to suck at something new. Flesh that out for us. Well, first of all, I can't take credit for it. I did not come up with that. Okay. But I read it. I read it. I don't know whose who's quote it is. I looked it up and I it's anonymous. So okay. somebody in the world said it and I, and I saw that and it stuck with me because it hit me in a time where I was afraid. Mm. I was afraid mm. to suck. I was afraid to be bad at what I did. I was afraid of the rejection of the embarrassment of not being enough. Mm-hmm. But I think when it comes to doing something new, we have to understand that if we ever want to get good at something, we have to go through being bad at it. Oh yeah. And you know, my, my first article I ever wrote was really wordy. <laughs> now my articles are more refined. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My first workout was really freaking hard. Not to say my workouts aren't hard now, but my, I don't know, thousandth workout is now very rewarding. Yeah. And so we have to put in the reps. We have to rinse and repeat. We have to go out there and try it if we're going to improve at it. And, you know, I, I realized that professionals in any area that have mastered something, they've mm-hmm. only mastered it because they had their number one, they're amateurs like all of us. But the only difference is that they're amateurs that have tried, failed, learned, and improved more than anybody else. Mm-hmm. For sure. And so when I started my midweek mindset videos and my newsletter, I wasn't good at it at the beginning. And I remember thinking, what are you waiting for? (laughs) Like, you're not going to get good sitting here thinking about it. Mm -hmm. You're going to get better by going out and actually doing it. And let me tell you, it's really uncomfortable (laughs) to put yourself out there on social media and open yourself up to criticism when you're not very good. You go and I'll tell you this right now. I don't delete these videos on purpose. Go all the way back. And on my social media, if you want to understand the process, go all the way back to some of my first videos you will see a, a version of a robot on there. Somebody who was so scared, so uncomfortable, so not like not a master of what they're about to say and just like worried about every little word that comes out of their mouth. Where now I, I have evolved in so many ways and I know I'm going to evolve and get so much better than I am even now. I'm going to look back one day and go, look at that video. <laughs> that was not good. But the important thing and to what you were talking about earlier about choices is that There are two costs that we should always consider, which is number one, the cost of starting, which Mm -hmm. is sometimes embarrassment, sometimes (laughs) criticism, right? All those things that come with trying something new and not being great at it. But then the second cost that we should really consider, and I don't think is considered enough, is what is the cost of staying exactly where you are? And the cost for me was that I wasn't going to get better. I wasn't going to improve. I wasn't going to become good on camera like I was hoping to. All those things, that, that cost was way bigger than the cost of being embarrassed temporarily, than the cost of not, not being great at what I did temporarily, because I knew every single time I put in the reps, I was going to get better. Yep, for sure. You know, <clears throat> you were talking uh, a moment ago about, obviously your world for many, many years has revolved around athletes. Now you've expanded that some, but athletes are still a part of what you do and well, a part of who you are, um, which by the way, uh, you and I have several things in common. I don't think you actually knew this part, but um, I was a soccer player oh, for many, many that. years. Yeah, I started at the tender age of four. Um, yeah, it, I grew those years when I was very young. I was in St. Louis, 
And in St. Louis, the soccer season went from August to February. They canceled games for one reason, one reason only, and that was lightning. So you played in snow, you played in rain, you played in everything, and you could you could stuff as much as you could under your jersey on the top, but you could only wear your shorts on the bottom, nothing underneath. Mm-hmm. So to this day, in the dead of winter, I wear shorts and people are like, he's nuts, but I do. I even helped start the varsity program at the university where I went. Amazing. That's yeah, amazing. that was that was super fun. But uh, so another connection point there. Uh, listeners, this was for Lauren and I, not necessarily for you. So enjoy it anyway. <laughs> All right. So but what I was trying to get to a moment ago was this. It doesn't you don't have to be an athlete for this to be true. There is a huge difference between failing and failure in my mind, two very different things. Failing is very much how you described it before. You're trying something new. You didn't do it right. And you have the opportunity to learn from it and get better. That's failing. Failure, on the other hand, is a state of being. It is an active choice to stay exactly where you are and to not move forward. Now, between those two, When someone chooses failure, I can't help that person. I can't. I can't work through that. But someone who's willing to fail, I can help them all day long and twice on Sunday. Absolutely, I can can do that. I cannot. Because failure is not, is, is not, you know, not getting the result you want. It's actually not trying for it. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, And staying exactly where you are. And so I, I'm a hundred percent on board with you. And I just think that you know, I think failure gets a really bad rap and I get it. Like we, I work in a industry where results are really important. So I'm not saying results are not important, but there's also a lot of benefits of failure. And we, we talk a lot about the benefits of success, but no one talks about the benefits of failure. Mm-hmm. And one of the big ones is mental flexibility. Mm-hmm. It increases your ability to be flexible because you're having to search for new potential solutions. So if you, that solution didn't work, that theory, that hypothesis that you'd created and went out and tested didn't work. Now you're forced to look for new solutions or potentially new tweaks or refinements to what you do. And so I think it increases your mental flexibility and it also increases your resilience. It gives you an opportunity to exercise resilience. Um, Tony Gonzalez, uh, football NFL hall of famer Mm -hmm. actually said that it was from dropping the ball that actually taught him how to catch it. And so some of those just failing alone actually increases our resilience. Another thing that it does is it humbles. (laughs) Yes. There's a lot of research that shows some of the best leaders in the world, some of the best athletes, some of um, the most um, agile people um, or adaptable people are humble and humility actually increases that. For sure. there's lots of ways that we can actually benefit from it. And when we look at those things, then we can go, okay, this wasn't just a waste, which I think sometimes people feel is like when we don't get the result we want, it was mm-hmm. a waste. Mm-hmm. And so there's always three questions that we can ask ourselves mm-hmm. to really help ourselves increase our awareness of where our, where our attention and our energy should be on our next attempt. And so the cr- three questions are super basic, but number one is what did I do well? Our brain, when we fail, always goes to what's, what did I not do well? Sure. But my question is because, because that's how our brain is primed to look for what's going wrong. I also like to exercise at the same time, our ability to find out, to see what's going right and to exercise that optimistic muscle. And so it's not to, it's not to lie about your situation or to ignore the fact that it didn't just suck, but are you able, even through all the noise, able to find what went well 
or what you may have done well, despite your results. Mm. And so write those things down. And then number two is what can you do better? Even if you have the best game of your life, the best pitch of your life, the best meeting of your life, you're never, you're never done growing. So what is something that you might be able to improve? And so what that does is it, it allows us, even though I want you to celebrate your wins, what I don't want you to do is become complacent because of them. Mm. So we can also exercise that muscle and finding what are some other things that we can do differently and evolve as a result of it. Mm-hmm. And then the last one is what did I learn? What did I gain from this that I can use in my next attempt? And so that way we're taking, we were taking that and we're now repurposing it um, for your next attempt to make it even better. For sure. You know, it's, I, I love those questions partly because of the simplicity. Um, you know, I realized that newspapers are kind of a thing of the past, but there's a reason that those things were slash are written on a fourth grade level. So pretty much everybody can understand it. So that's one of the things I appreciate about those questions that they are so simple, but also makes it easy to remember them and then to apply them. Um, I can tell you in my life, the times that I did things right, I didn't learn anything because I did it right. The only time when I learn things is when I do something wrong. And, and that's a problem, right? Yeah. That's a problem in itself, because if we're only learning when things are going wrong, we're leaving knowledge on the table. So those three questions still apply when you have success, because I've, I've had this question. Somebody asked me, they're like, Lauren, why is it? Why is there the, why is the battle always between talent and effort? I said, that's not the battle Mm. because he goes, there's complacency there. I was like, no, no, no. Complacency doesn't just come from talent. Complacency is the battle between success and effort. Mm. When we succeed, we take our foot off the gas. We go, we got this. Oh yeah. Yes. So that's the true battle. It's not, it has nothing to do with talent. It has everything to do with success. The reason why people misunderstand that is because a lot of people with talent see success early, but that battle between effort actually has everything to do with success. And so those three questions need to be asked even when you succeed. That's what the best athletes in the world do. They're not just evaluating their performance based on failures. They're evaluating their performance every day, regardless if it's a success or a failure, because they know they're never done growing. And guess what? If they stop evolving, someone's ready to take their position. Oh, for sure. You know, as you were saying that the uh, images of certain athletes were going through my mind um, on both sides, ones that super talented, who it got them to a certain level, but they never got better. That happens a lot, unfortunately, or ones who are maybe not as talented, but because they continued to work, they, at a certain point, they started to exceed the level of those who are super talented. I mean, I had so many come to mind. I, this one, it's a little before your time, but Steve Largent was a wide receiver for the Seattle Seahawks for many, many years. He's not anywhere close to like a prototypical wide receiver. I mean, he was kind of short, small, but as consistent as you could imagine. I mean, the guy just caught everything. He's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, for goodness sake. You don't get there by accident. Jerry Rice was not. Everybody knows about him because of how great he was in the NFL, becoming the all-time leader in touchdown receptions and yardage and that sort of thing. But it's not like he was the number one draft pick when he came out. He wasn't. He came from a very small school. Yeah. And he had to work really hard to get where he was. Now, granted, he caught passes from at least two Hall of Fame quarterbacks, too. That didn't hurt. 
but he still had to put the work in, had to put the reps in to get there. Yeah. And you don't stop. And I think it was Jerry Rice that said every single year he acted as if he was trying out for the team. Like he never felt like he was like an automatic yes, an automatic in every year. He acted like he was that rookie, like he was fighting for that position. And that's what we should all be doing. And I don't mean it in a sense where everybody should be feeling anxious, where it should be like, like, Oh my gosh, I'm terrified to lose my job. Not, Mm -hmm. that's not the point. The point is that to develop that kind of work ethic and that kind of commitment to your process, that's next level. And not everybody's do that. Yeah, that's true. And there's also plenty of people who they've never seen that model before. So they don't even know, they wouldn't even know where to begin with that. Okay. Since I happen to mention that, let's jump into that for just a minute. Let's say you have a potential client who knows, uh, I'll say he, just I'm a guy. It's easier for me to say he. Let's just say this guy's coming to you. Um, Let's say he's a a lower level executive, but he's still an executive. And he's like, look, I know I could be performing better, not just at work, but in other areas of my life. And I need help with this, but I've never seen this before. I've never seen anybody do it before. I don't have a clue where to start. What do you do with somebody like that? You know, it's like, it's like if you got up in the morning and you got in your car, if you don't have a direction, any direction will do. So first we need to understand where the hell are you going? Where do you want to go? What are the things you want to achieve? What are the goals that you want to create? And so what I would do is I would actually have them fast forward five years into the future and uh, do a little time traveling and I'd have him visualize down to what he's wearing. Like, okay, you wake up, tell me about your surroundings. You open your eyes. What room are you in? What does it look like? You know, do you, is your spouse there? What, what does that look like when you wake up now? Go through your morning routine. What would that look like? Are you working for yourself? Are you working for somebody else? Do you have a team or a team of a hundred, a team of 10, team of two, or are you solo? And we'd walk through every little detail. The more you can get specific on even the little things about what lifestyle you want, the more we can then work backwards into what that's going to like today. Because, and I'll never forget this. I know this is a quick tangent, but it's important. I was told a story. My, my grandfather was a horse racing steward, oh. which is like the referee of horse racing. Oh, okay. And he worked at really famous tracks, uh, actually in California. And my mom said he had a two hour commute every single day to and from wow. the track. And she said, and he was in traffic a lot of times. We're talking like LA area. Oh, yeah. So it's like tons of traffic. So it would oftentimes take longer. And one day she asked him, do you like the drive? And he goes, no, like <laughs> who likes sitting in traffic? He's like, absolutely not. I don't like the drive. Why? She said, well, then why don't you ever complain about it? He said, well, because that's what I signed up for. He said, nobody forced me to take the job, but that's, if I wanted the job, that was a requirement of it. And so if at any point in time, I didn't want to put in what was required, I could leave, but I took the job. And so I think one of the questions becomes, as we go through this exercise of visualizing what you want is, are you willing to do what will be required of it? Mm. Are you willing to live the lifestyle that will be required to achieve that? Not everybody is, and that's okay. We just got to adjust that vision, but we can't complain about something we don't have from the work we're not willing to do. And so first is getting really clear on what the hell it is you want within Mm -hmm. your company, within your own life, within your own goals and your own dreams. And if we don't know that, it doesn't matter what I tell you, the rest of that won't matter. We first have to build awareness around that. Then the second thing is now we need to draw awareness towards what you're currently doing because- what got you here most likely won't be the thing to get you there. Right. And so we need to audit 
our, our habits. We need to audit our routines. We need to audit the people we're around. We need to audit all of those things that actually contribute to that. Mm-hmm. And then we dive into all the other stuff, but we can't do that until these two things are, um, are really outlined and taken care of. Okay. Very cool. Well, for those of you who are listening or viewing this, I hope that you're really getting something out of this. In fact, what I hope you're doing, I hope you have something like this next to you and you're writing notes down because the things that Lauren is sharing with you are, oh my gosh, so good. In fact, I'm going to suggest here very humbly, but I'm going to suggest that after you listen to this, give yourself a day or two of processing, go back and listen again and listen with that detail mindedness, writing very specific, concrete things down that she's saying and figure out ways to take nuggets of what she's saying. How does this apply to me and where I am now? If I want to get better, how do the questions that Lauren just asked, how do those apply to me and actually write this stuff down? I mean, I'm not going to tell Lauren something she doesn't already know, but folks, as much as electronics, you know, things like these wonderful phones, they're great. They are, but there is something about actually physically writing it down, pen to paper. It sticks in your brain better. Trust me, there's so much neuroscience behind that. And I can't wait, by the way, I have an actual neuroscientist coming on the show very, very soon. And so I am super excited about that. Ooh, I'm excited. I can't wait to listen to that one. Oh, yes. Love yes. neuroscience. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'd, I'll definitely be making a connection between Lauren and Dr. Haley for sure. So, oh, so excited about that. All right. So here's another one of your sayings. At least I think it's yours. You tell me if it's not, but I think it is. Mental toughness doesn't make you invincible. It makes you adaptable. That is one of my. Okay. So again, help us with that. Not only tell us what it means, but how do we apply it? Well, I think a lot of people, when they think of mental toughness, they think, well, you're me- if you're mentally tough, that just means you should, you should never have any weaknesses. You should never, uh, you know, you should never struggle or all that. They're like, oh, just, just fight through it. Like, don't talk about your feelings and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh no, I hate that definition. Okay. That sounds like most men. Yeah. <laughs> no, I can well, say that. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I do think that when it comes to mental toughness, we think of, we think of like certain people like David Goggins, who I freaking love, by the way, great book if you need a recommendation. But not everybody, it, I, I can't be David Goggins. I can only be Lauren Johnson. Right. And mental toughness to me is going to look different than somebody else. And I know that, you know, mental toughness, it does not make you invincible. It's not going to remove those, those lows that we go through. It's not going to remove discomfort. It's not going to remove mistake. It's not going to remove pressure. It's not going to remove things that distract us. It's not going to remove those things. It's just going to make you adaptable within them. Mm. And so, you know, a question I've gotten asked, and it's a good example of that. A question I got asked actually from one of my players once he was like, Lauren, uh, how do I eliminate distraction? Mm. And I told him, well, that's, you're asking the wrong question. And he was like, what do you mean? <laughs> I'm like, well, can you eliminate all distractions? Is that even possible? And he's like, no. So you're going to waste a lot of time trying to eliminate distractions because you're going to constantly have a new one to try and eliminate. And while we can eliminate some, right, by removing certain things from our environment or building mm-hmm. certain routines in, what I would rather, the, the skill I'd rather train you on is not how to eliminate distraction, but how to bring your attention back when it becomes distracted. Mm. And so I explained it like this. I said, our mind is like a ship in a harbor. A ship without an anchor is subject to moving when the wind blows and is at risk for being taken out to sea. But like our attention, a ship with an anchor, while it may move, it won't move very far. Mm. 
And so one way to anchor your attention to the present moment, which it's funny because our mind is the only thing that can exist in the past, present, and future. And so many times we get caught up tripping over past mistakes or trying to predict or worry about what ifs and in the future of things could happen. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so when I, I said, I would rather train you to become aware of when your mind drifts, because if we're aware now we can do something about it. If we're not, there's, you can't change something you're not aware of. So it's building awareness to noticing when your mind starts to drift and then having a tool to bring it back when it does. And every time mm. you do that, that's a bicep curl for your brain. And we start to build that muscle. And so I said, the first time it may take you several minutes to actually bring your attention back. It may take you several hours. Like me with the guy that at the drive-thru it took yeah. me several hours to actually bring my attention back. And that's okay. I said, every time I just want you to improve that time in between. Yeah. And yeah. so one of the ways we can anchor our attention is through deliberate breathing. Mm. Specifically, it's, I, I like to use this because I think it works very well is that obviously we breathe every day. So it can become a very automatic process. So one way to do it deliberately so that it doesn't become like autopilot is to breathe in for four seconds, hold for two at the top, and then exhale for four seconds. And it's that hold at the top that is not natural, that actually mm. is exercising a little bit of that control and intentionality. And so that's one way. If you can breathe and just focus on your breath, if you're breathing in the present and focusing on that, it's the only thing you can do. I mean, you can only do that in the present moment. So that's when you've got your mind back in the present. Another way is to ask yourself this question, what's important now? Mm. And if you can answer that, you're back in the present moment. And I have a lot of executives actually write W-I-N with a question mark because mm -hmm. the acronyms win. So they love it. Um, and they put it on their desk and that's something that's a reminder for them. And then the that's third one is name one thing you hear, one thing you feel, and one thing you see. Mm. Those are only three things you can answer in the present moment. And after you've done that, you've just anchored your attention back to the present and now you can direct it to what's important. So that's one example of being adaptable with mental performance. It doesn't necessarily make you invincible. It doesn't mean you're not going to eliminate all distractions, but you're going to become more adaptable within them and they're not going to take you out as long as maybe they have in the past. Wow. Okay. Powerful stuff. Thank you for sharing that. Of course. Well, you've kind of answered this question already, but I, I, I guess... Maybe if we can come up with a very clear-cut, specific definition to it. I've used the phrase, you're a mental performance coach. Mm -hmm. Define that for us. Yeah, great question. Um, most people don't know the difference between a clinical therapist, a life coach, a executive coach, and a mental performance coach, which is what I do. Right. And while I think a lot of topics do overlap in different ways, one of the things I don't do is I don't do clinical work. So if if something I don't diagnose and treat clinical disorders, which is a really important piece because um, some people will come to me for specifically for mental health purposes. And oh. if I, if I deem it to be clinical in nature, then that's something that I refer out to some incredible yes. people that I know. And then I collaborate with them on the treatment plan, but um, that's, that's not what I do. Um, I'm also, I, I'm also not a, um, a life coach. I mean, I think a lot of what I do also overlaps but, and we do talk about life, but where, where my specific knowledge comes in is I studied how our, we can leverage the power of our mind to improve performance. And it's not just performance, you know, on the baseball field or on the soccer field, um, but also in the boardroom, also at home. And so a lot of those principles do overlap in nature, but in my, um, in my degree, I studied performance and sports psychology. And so 
that's, that's the difference. Now we, we coach, like, I think we all, we all coach in some, in some degree to some degree. So a lot of my, my sessions either look like this, they're one-on-one on zooms. Mm-hmm. I do group coaching. I do, uh, I work with teams, whether that's sales teams or an actual sports team and their executives and their leadership. So there's many different ways that the work can actually show up, but my actual area actually lies within the sport and performance psychology realm. Mm, Gotcha. Okay. You know, one of the things that I do, one of the types of coaching that I do, I I work specifically with men Mm -hmm. and, and which is actually the purpose of this podcast is to help men get better at their significant relationships, what they deem to be significant. Typically those are the ones at home, but not always so that they can be better in their business relationships, which does to a certain extent affect performance as you've talked about. And I have an exercise that I take guys through. It's, it's a rather long and involved journaling exercise. It's something they have to do for a year. So it requires a commitment. But there's a reason for it. Um, the, the exercise is to help guys figure out, first of all, they have feelings beyond I'm hungry, I'm tired, I'm mad. <laughs> and that today was not the first time they ever felt those. Really. And so part of that, what I do is, and it, it sounds similar to something you were describing earlier, is I have them write out today, I feel, and they can't use words like good, great, or okay, because those aren't specific. So for example, if I were doing it, I would say today, I feel excited. And then I would say, why today I feel excited because I knew I was going to be interviewing Lauren immediately after that, write down the first time I remember feeling excited was when I was four years old and we were moving from our first house to our big house. When you're four years old, you know, everything's big, but to me, it was, it was a much bigger house than the one we were in before. So we're moving and my parents allowed me to help move, which means I carried a box or two pretty much is what that meant. But the purpose of doing that again is to help guys again, realize they have actual feelings. Today is not the first time they've ever had it. What this helps to develop within men is not only to recognize those things, but when things come in, I start feeling something that I'm unsure about. I don't know what to do with it. Like, okay, let me identify what it is. Let me think about a time it's happened before. Okay, now what do I do with it? Which is so important because that's what can be stifling to so many men. It's what keeps them emotionally crippled. If I don't really know a better way to say it than that. Um, because clearly we, as men, we are not encouraged to talk about stuff like that, let alone deal with it. And so I try to normalize that for men to say, look, just because you talk about feelings and emotions, it, it doesn't automatically turn you into a woman. It's like, that's, that's not what it's about. It's, it's about being able to freely communicate what's going on with you, with those that are important to you, because quite frankly, and I'm not going to say anything that the men haven't heard from me before. And that is guys, if you're married. If you're not communicating what's going on with you on the inside, it is as if you have turned off her oxygen supply and you want her to die. I don't know a better way to say it than that. It's the truth. And it's, it's a skill set. That's all it is. It's a new skill set that you can learn. And that's really, Lauren, that's what you're telling us is you're giving us new tools to be able to learn how to do this to, I think, to unlock portions of our brain that have been locked for, for some of us for decades. That, we, that they've never been open before. And we've never done anything with those before. And they can be life altering if we'll just take the right key to fit that lock, unlock it, but then actually do something with it. Oh, preach, John. Preach. <laughs> it, you know, uh, something I say a lot is that if your problem is solvable, you don't have a problem, you have a choice. Yes. And 
with, that's exactly what you're talking about. I mean, with the, with emotion, emotion, you're right with shoot 80% of my clientele are men mm. and, and emotions are not always the easiest thing to talk about. And they, they express them in the ways that are okay to talk about, which is anger, frustration, those kinds of things. But we have to dive deeper into that. And so oftentimes we do talk about how to navigate those emotions because, mm-hmm. um, for instance, I was working with a, a golfer and he was, I was actually out for observation watching him in this tournament. And you could just see his frustration build after every single shot he was missing or, and so he, he actually made a three putt on this hole and like was so upset and he like walked off, went straight to the next hole, totally ignored his routine, totally ignored, uh, didn't slow down, just sped up immediately, hit off the tee. And we watched this as ball flew directly into a hazard. Oh, and that was the thing that like set him off. So he literally threw his club and he walked off the course and quit. Couldn't even finish the day. Wow. And I let him cool down for a little bit. And then we sat down and we chatted and I said, like I asked him, I was like, what was that? And he's like, well, something you should understand about me is I just hate to lose. I can't stand it. That's just who I am. Mm. I said, no, no. See, that's not who you are. That's who you're choosing to be. There's a big difference. Said, that's who you're choosing to be. And I said, our emotions, I don't mind you if you're angry. I'm like, it's okay to be angry. It's not okay to quit. It's okay to be frustrated. It's not okay to lose your cool. It's okay to be fearful. It's not okay to allow that fear to control your decision-making. So I said, your emotions are like fire. Fire is good. Fire helps us cook, helps us light candles, keeps us warm. Mm -hmm. But fire can also be very damaging. It can burn down thousands of acres of forests. So I said, it's not that your emotions are good or bad, but I want you to be the bonfire. Because the only difference between a bonfire and a wildfire is the boundaries that's surrounding it. Mm. And so I said, you know, it's okay. Like we see those boundaries between where our emotions are okay and where they're not. And so I, what I had him do was write out his emotion and then or write out an emotion and then write out where it might be of benefit because anger can really actually force us to, mo- it's motivating, right? Yeah. But where does that become a problem? Where does it start to become dangerous? And as you kind of, as you create the definition of where that boundary lies, it becomes easier to navigate it. And I love that you're actually allowing people to learn where their emotions in the first place that they even have them. Because again, you can't change anything you're not aware of. So if you're not even aware of these things, it's going to be really hard to navigate it, right? Right, exactly. So I I absolutely love that. I think it's so important. For sure. Who is Lauren's ideal client? Oof. I have quite a few of them, but I will tell you the biggest one that doesn't matter what domain you're in. Mm -hmm. My ideal client is somebody that is ready to do the work, number one. Okay. Um, I don't take clients that are half in, half out. I don't take clients that are wishy-washy. They're not really sure. I work with people that are ready to go all in on themselves. I work with people that aren't okay with average. Even if they've been average up until this point, they're not okay with it. They want something more. They want to become the best versions of themselves. And even people that are having the best years of their life, but they know that they're, that they can always improve, that they're never too good to improve themselves and that they always want to evolve. And so I'm working with people who aren't afraid to do those things, whether it's in business, whether it's in sports, whether it's, you know, a mom, whether it's a dad, it doesn't matter. It's people that want to level up their performance by understanding who they are in their mind. Gotcha. Okay. What are, and of course, I I don't want any names related to this question, but what are some of the challenges that you've seen uh, your clients have to work through? 
Ooh, many, many. Um, is there any specific one or you just want me to choose one? No, just, I mean, just, you know, give us an idea of some of the things that you've helped some of your clients. I'm thinking of individual clients rather than necessarily, you know, if you're dealing with teams. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, the one that comes to mind and this is a baseball player, but it doesn't just apply to baseball. So it applies to business entrepreneurs, individuals. Mm -hmm. And this, this player came up to me and he was, uh, he was in a slump. He was a hitter and he was over 15, which is not good. (laughs) And he comes up to me and he's really frustrated. And he's like, Lauren, I've, I've tried everything and I don't know what to do. And so all of us can, can relate to the fact where we've been in a position where just things aren't going our way. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we're doing, how we're changing our strategies. It's just, we're not getting that result and it can get really frustrating. So I asked him, I said, what is your definition of success at the plate? Mm-hmm. He said, it's getting a hit. Great. I said, now let's pretend that getting a hit couldn't be the result or couldn't be your, sorry, your definition of success. Then how would you define it? And I, and I prefaced it with this. Have you ever done everything right at the plate and got a bad result? He's like, yes. I said, have you ever done everything wrong at the plate and got a good result? He said, yes. <laughs> so the point is that good results aren't always the result of good things and bad results aren't always the result of bad things. That's why we can't, r- results alone won't make you better. Doing the right things will. So what are those right things within your control that if you did those things, that means you did your job and there's nothing more you can do. And that was success. And he's like, all right. So we had to redefine it. He's like, all right. So that would be, he's like, number one, timing. When I'm on time, I usually, I have a really much, a much better chance of, you know, getting ahead. Great. Number two, it was having an external focus. He said, you know, when I'm so focused on my mechanics and where my hands are doing and all that, he goes, I, it totally takes me out. So I just need to have an external focus and focus on where I want to hit the ball. Great. So we have external focus and we have the, um, the timing. And as he said, number three is pitch selection is deciding what pitch I'm going to swing at and sticking to it. Great. So that became his new definition of success. If he was on time at the plate, if he made a good pitch selection and he had an external focus, that became success. And so he was no longer worried about getting a hit. It doesn't mean he still doesn't want to hit. It's all for the reason to get a hit. But if we're so focused on how we're doing, we oftentimes aren't focused on what we're doing. And so he was so focused on the result of it that he wasn't actually focused on what he could do and had control over in the moment. And so when we redefine success, if we're, if you're in that position where you're not seeing the results you want, you're doing everything and you're so focused on that end result is to redefine success to be within your control. What are three things that you can do that if you do them, that is success to you, whether or not you get that result, because when you focus on the process, oftentimes the results take care of themselves. Love that. Oh my gosh. I can see applications in so various And so because you brought the word up now, I don't ask every guest this, but I ask many, what's your definition of success? I'm so glad that you asked. All right. So the first thing is every day I have to learn and I have to create in some way. So I read and I create every single day. Number two is building relationships. Mm. And so I'll build relationships, whether it's online, whether it's continuing to foster the relationships I already have, whether that's through friends or people I've met through business. But number two is relationships. It's so freaking important to me. And number three is something that I do for myself. And that has to do with either working out, doing something active. When I do those three things in a day, my day is pretty darn successful because those three things are the things that add to what I do on a daily basis. And they they allow me to show up as the best version. Of- oh my gosh. I love that. 
that's your definition. I would say of all that I've heard so far is probably the most thorough and targeted one I've heard. So well done. Well, thank you. I've done a lot of work on it. So I bet it's refined. <laughs> I bet. And for, uh, for those of you who are wondering what John's definition is, because you might not have heard me say it in a while, it is a work in progress. But today, the definition for me is getting up one more time than I fall. For me, that is what it is. For me, it, it has absolutely nothing to do with externals at all. It's not about money. It has nothing to do with that. So that's what mine is. I love it. All right. So let me ask you this. We're getting close to wrap up time. Not because you and I couldn't continue to talk for like forever because we could. We have. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I want to honor your time and certainly listeners and viewers, I want to honor your time, which is your most precious resource. So let me ask you this. What, um, because we focus so much on relationships on this show, I want to know what it is that you're doing, Lauren, right now to invest in your most significant relationships and what impact do those relationships have on your business? Mm. Um, number one is to serve and meet them where they're at. Um, you know, it's actually super interesting. Um, I think a lot of times in, I've noticed in business, and we actually talked about this just before we got on this call, is that sometimes I, I, I get a lot of people reaching out to me and they, under the guise of wanting to get to know me, they are actually wanting to sell me. And there's nothing that feels more dirty or slimy than that. And so when I am fostering relationships, I sincerely, number one, I, I care about the people I'm reaching out to, mm-hmm. but number two, if like, let's say I do have an event coming up and let's say I reach out. Cause I think somebody would actually be great for an event. Mm-hmm. Even if they aren't interested in the event, I still want to connect and see how I can help them. Yeah. And that may even be offering an ear. It might look like answering a question they have or giving advice to something that they're curious about, or it might be connecting them with somebody else. But the most important thing is building relationships. And it's actually how I got the job at the Yankees. Mm. I reached out to as many people in the MLB as I could. And what I did, best thing I ever did, so I offer this to anybody that could use it. I'd put a reminder in my phone for every three to six months. And I would re- reach out to each and every one of those individuals. And what I would do is I'd let them know where I was at. Like, hey, this is what's going on in my life. But I'd also follow up with what they were going, what was going on in their lives. Hey, I remember your daughter's birthday was happening mm-hmm. like after we last chatted. How did that go? Oh, hey, I remember you said your husband was having surgery. How is he feeling? Yeah. You would be amazed at what just listening and taking notes on really what matters to others can do for a relationship. The Yankees, they don't post their job postings online. They send them to people in the field. I had three people send me that job offer that I had never met in person. Wow. And it was because I built a relationship. I didn't just reach out to them because I wanted the connection in baseball. I started learning about them as people. And we are now, we are continuing to have a relationship even today. Those people are still my friends. But it was one of the things I think is important is because I didn't just reach out when I needed something. I developed a relationship because I actually cared to have one with that person. Not just because of what they could benefit me in, but the fact that how can I serve them? And I think the way, the only thing I really had to offer at the time was an ear to listen and to follow up with the things that were really important to them. And that went a long, long way. Absolutely. You know, folks, details matter because details means it's a part of somebody's life and people matter. If people don't matter to you, you're in trouble. I don't know a better way to say it than that. You have to find a way to genuinely care about, about who they are and not what they can do for you. It's about what you can do for them. It's about 
in business often we talk about adding value. And I really wish there was a better way to say it than that. Cause I'm kind of tired of saying it that way, but it's just, you mean something to me. You're important to me. I know it feels weird to say that out loud, but you know what? I guarantee you when you choose to say that to somebody else, that may be the only time they've heard it that day. They may have had the absolute worst day possible, but when they hear that, you may just give them courage to keep going on when they didn't think it was possible. And it doesn't have to be somebody who's necessarily down and out. You'd be amazed at the number of people that when we look at them on the outside, they have it all. Some of the emptiest and most unfulfilled people you'll ever meet because they discover, unfortunately, that stuff doesn't fill that void. It's not about that. It's about caring about people and letting them know that you're important. I don't care what your stature is. I care about you as a person. That's what matters. You cannot underestimate the power of a small text, a call, a a handwritten note. Yes, for sure. Um, You cannot underestimate the power of those things and just reaching out. And actually, um, one of the things that I do oftentimes in my routine is I write down who, uh, who I want to connect with today. And sometimes it's mm. an old, an old friend I haven't talked to in a while. Sometimes it's a client. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, somebody I've worked with in business, but I, I try and keep up on my relationships and deposit mm. <laughs> that account. Absolutely. Absolutely. So before we get to our final four, which is something I give everybody when we wrap up interviews, uh, a couple things, where can folks find you? Easiest place to find me is my website, which is laurenjohnsonandco.com, laurenjohnsonandco.com. Uh, I, there's a lot of Lauren Johnsons in the world. So uh, I, I have lots of different social media handles. So instead of boring you with all those, you can connect with me on social media. You can work with me. You can sign up for my newsletter, sign up for my event. All that stuff is on my website where you can find it. We'll be sure to include all this in the show notes, even those, the different places where she's on social media, we'll put the handles in there so you guys can connect with her. So happy to do that. Um, And is that the same process someone would take if they want to work with you? Because I guarantee you there's going to be people who hear this and it's like, oh my gosh, Lauren is my girl. I have (laughs) got to connect with her and not to sell you something. (laughs) Right, right, right. Uh, Yes, actually it's the work with me. There's a work with me page on my website. Uh, but if you just want to connect or ask, have a question, uh, definitely the easiest way is through social media. So if you want to shoot me a DM, anything like that, I'm happy to answer any questions you guys have and connect. So what do you have coming up that you're excited about? I am hosting my first live event. November. I'm so excited. November 11th through the 13th. It's people that are in the field of sport and performance psychology who want to level up personally and professionally. There are just things in our field that, um, don't get talked about very often and aren't included in a lot of the conferences that currently exist, which is why I created my own. And so we're not only talking about, we're, not, we're going beyond the textbook, we're going beyond theory, we're going beyond the science, all that stuff's important. Mm-hmm. But when that meets reality, it doesn't look the same. And so the question is, how do we navigate, how do we navigate that? And how do we, how do we help our clients in the best way by improving the stories and the messaging and the way that we connect with them? And then the second piece is uh, we're going to dive into the business side that doesn't get taught because we're in psychology <laughs> classes all the time. So we never get taught that side of it. So I also am bringing in some incredible experts from that. So it's going to be incredible. We're just going to be talking about all those areas that 
don't get talked about. And we're doing it in a small setting so you can build network connections and actually sit and speak with all these experts and incredible people that are going to be there. Oh, fabulous. And if people are interested in that, or they may know someone in the field who thinks, hey, this person needs to be at this event, where do we find out about that? Um, you can either go to it. The link is actually in my bio on my Instagram. And so you can go there and there's all the information there. You can also shoot me a DM and I'm happy to send it to you. And then also there is an events page on my website. Okay, perfect. Perfect. All right. That's what we'll do. All right. Now we're ready for our final four. Are you ready for your final I'm ready. four? Let's do this. Okay. All right. Here we go. Question number one. Why did God create Lauren? I'll translate it another way. If that's hard, it's your purpose or your why. No. Oh yeah. Yeah. God created me to help others see their power and their worthiness and that everything that they, their ability is within them that all that they need, they already have, but it's harnessing that through the way that we think the way our beliefs and our, and our passions and through our hearts. So I, I think that's why, because I, there's nothing I love more than watching people win. Mm, love that. Love that. All right. Question two, what are you doing reading or listening to right now that's helping you grow? Ooh, I love this question. So something I've been doing is I've been attending a bunch of events that I, number one, have been recommended to me, but that I necessarily would, I would never attend otherwise. I've mm. stopped thinking and just started doing the amount of people <laughs> I've connected with and had benefited from and learned from and developed relationships with has gone through the roof. I am I went to conferences that you would never see somebody like me at. I was like the only one of my kind there. And (laughs) it was the best decision I've ever made. So I've been kind of taking a couple leaps of faith and doing things Mm -hmm. that I wouldn't normally do. And it's paying off incredibly. And that's one thing that I'm doing. One of the things I'm reading is I am currently reading, where is it? I have two books. I'm trying to remember the molecule of more great book all about neurology. So your, your person, your neurologist, love it. And then there's another book that I love that I'm, I've already read, but I'm going to recommend, which is can't hurt me by David Goggins. Check Mm. out David Goggins first. He's not for everybody. I love him, but if he is for you, highly recommend that book. It's phenomenal. Okay, perfect. Now this is a two-parter. What do you do for fun? And what do you do for fun with your hubby? Okay. My husband and I, we love MMA. So okay. we love to watch the fights. Um, Rose Namajunas is my favorite fighter and um, shoot, I forget who his is, but if I saw the name, I would be able to tell you, but uh, oh, Akum, or Uzman, something Uzman. Okay. I can't, anyway, regardless, um, we love MMA. So that's something we like to do together. Mm-hmm. Something I actually like to do for fun I really enjoy working out, but I also just love spending time with my family and friends. I love just like getting that personal connection outside of work. It's just, it fills my soul. What are you most grateful for? My family. Okay. My fam- I would say it's two parts. My family mm-hmm. and the opportunity to expand it. Because oh. my family, and not just saying, you know, within ourselves, like my husband and I definitely want to start a family one day, but a lot of people that I consider family are not blood. Right. And so, um, I love meeting new people. Um, my husband and I are opposite in that, but, um, <laughs> I, I love, like if you didn't, if we weren't married, like you would just be by yourself. <laughs> wow. He loves people too, but I definitely, I think like meeting people more than he does. So, uh, I think those are the two things I'm really grateful for is just, I think what it boils down to is relationships. Okay. And this is kind of like a bonus question that I sometimes ask, sometimes I don't. And it, you may have already answered it, but I'm maybe saying it in a different way. 
What brings you joy? Watching people show up as their authentic selves. Like there, there's not like there, there's when I see people and my clients, clients and friends, I mean, it's not, it's not just people I work with. When I see people winning, putting them, and when I say winning, I don't always mean result wise. I mean, being brave enough to suck at something new, putting themselves out there and doing things that are scary, overcoming those self-doubts, those fears that we have. There's nothing that lights me up more than seeing that happen. Seeing seeing somebody do something they were meant to do. Oh, the best. Well, for those of you, when you have listened to episodes of this particular podcast, the closing music is by my good friend, Jeff Sheets. And I can tell you, I've never heard a guitarist like him. I mean, Jeff can make his guitar talk, which is freaking cool. It just is. But when I see him play, you just know he was designed for that. I mean, that, that is him. It is his thing. And man, is he good at it. I mean, when you have somebody like Stevie Ray Vaughan tell you you're an amazing player, that's a big deal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so anyhow, that's an aside, folks. But uh, so if you a little history lesson about the closing music that I have in here is from Jeff. So. All right. Well, Lauren, do you have any parting words for us today? You know, I think uh, somebody asked me this. I said, Lauren, what's your biggest fear? Hmm. I said, my biggest fear is regret. My biggest fear is not trying. My biggest fear is not putting ourselves out there. And I think sometimes uh, my biggest issue is thinking I have more time than I do. Mm-hmm. And so if there's anybody on here listening and they're thinking about starting that business, picking up that phone, calling that person, um, taking that course or going after those, your dreams or the things that you really want, as I encourage you to take one small step towards that today, whether it's an action, whether it's, you know, reaching out to somebody, finding a resource, but um, that would be my last final message. Perfect. Well, that's a great way to end things. Again, Lauren, thank you so much for being here today and sharing your amazing wisdom with us. Um, I love that you are a practitioner of what you teach and that you apply it to your own life first. And that allows you with authenticity to be able to share that with others. So thank you for your vulnerability with us today. Thank you. I appreciate you having me John. You bet. Well, folks, this is our wrap up time. Thank you so much for spending some of your time with us today. Again, I don't take that lightly. It is a non-renewable resource and it is very precious. And it means the world to me that you chose to do some of that. So thanks again for being here. We'll talk to you guys next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Relationships and Revenue. I'd love to get your thoughts on the show. Two ways you can do that are to give us a rate and review and or connect with me on social media. You can find me at John Hewlin. Thanks again for listening. And remember, passion gets you started. Purpose keeps you going. Have a great day and we'll see you next time. Bye.